If you would, join me in prayer. Lord, I just pray that you would use your word this morning to speak to our hearts. That you would transform our hearts to know and love you more. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, before we uh, get started looking at this, um, this, this passage, I really wanted to take a moment just to say thank you. Um, Sarah and I just got here last Saturday, uh, but we have, we have felt uh, very warmly welcomed and well taken care of uh, by you, um, and we just wanted to say thank you to you. And if, I haven't, if we haven't met you yet, please be sure to come and introduce yourself. We'd love to meet meet all of you. But as we look at this passage, um, I, I wanted to ask, ask you a question. Has there ever been a, a project that you've, that you've started to work on and you wanted to repair or fix something, something maybe a, a small problem, and you get started working on it only to discover that under the surface there's a much worse problem at hand? This actually happened to me a couple of years ago uh, in the house that we owned in, in Cleveland. We had a little guest house out back, and we had some tenants that were staying there, and they came to me and said that the, co- the toilet was really clogged up, and uh, they couldn't get it unclogged. I had a plumber there for something else, and he was just like, oh, all you got to do is pull the toilet up and snake it. And put it back on, you're good to go. You can do that. You don't need me. You go ahead and do that. Okay, I think I, I, I have confidence. I can do this. So I did what he said. I pulled the toilet up. And as soon as I pulled the toilet up, I came to find that the floor was completely rotten. And it was a miracle that, we hadn't, or that nobody had fallen through the floor at any point. So I decided I, I need to pull up the subfloor. I pulled up one layer of subfloor. There's another layer underneath, and that was rotten too. I pull up the second layer of subfloor, and underneath I discover that all of the plumbing underneath the bathroom of this house has come detached, and everything is just flowing under the house. It was not fun. Um, So I discover that. So, okay, I I can fix that. I can glue that all back together. I glue all that back together, and I have this huge open floor, and I'm trying to cover it one night because a possum hadn't made a home in the bathroom. Uh, I was covering it to keep that from happening, and I nicked the corner of the drywall with a piece of wood, and I look at it, and wow, this is completely covered in mold, and I discover that the whole back wall of our guest house was covered in mold, so I ripped that all out. I discover that the whole back wall, all the wood was completely rotten and termite eaten. Long story short, the problem was much larger than I had ever even imagined it being, and I ended up having to basically do a whole gut job on the bathroom. Now, as we look at this story, I'm not trying to say that the, the, the man that is coming to Jesus is coming to him with a small problem. His son is dying. This is no small problem. However, I am suggesting that Jesus responds in a way that is, is pulling out and revealing that there's something under the surface. There's, there's more that he wants to address than just the dying son. And as we walk through the story together, 
I want to see how Jesus does this and, and what we can learn from, from how Jesus interacts with this man. And the first couple of verses really set the scene for this story. Let's just read it together, verses 46 and 47. He says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. We learn a lot here. We learn that Jesus is returning to Galilee, specifically to Cana. And John makes the point of noting that this is the place where, in chapter 2, Jesus had turned water into wine. And really, he's drawing a connection between the story in chapter 2 and this story here in chapter 4, because these stories, there are actually a lot of parallels in these two stories. In both of them, Jesus is asked to perform a miracle, and both of them, they contain Jesus initially rebukes the person who asks, and both of them, he performs a miracle at a distance, and both of them conclude with statements concerning what the people involved believed about Jesus. Both stories are centered around the connection between Jesus' miracles and people's belief. And between these two stories that take place in Cana, we know that, that Jesus had, had traveled to Judea, and then he stops in Samaria on his way back to Galilee, where he encounters the woman at the well, which we heard last week. So, so Jesus is, is returning to Cana, and, and soon after he gets there, as soon after he gets into town, He's approached by a man asking him to heal his son. And John tells us that this man is from Capernaum. Capernaum is about 25 miles from Cana. It's about, it takes about four hours to travel between Cana and, and Capernaum at that time. And John tells us that this man's son is very ill, even ill to the point of death. But who is this man? John tells us that he's an official. It's possible that he was a royal official in the court of Herod. He was a man of means. He was a man in a position of prominence. He likely heard a lot about what was going on in Cana. It's possible he may have even attended the wedding. It's also possible that he heard about what Jesus had been doing in Jerusalem. If you look back to chapter, or to verse 45, it says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So many from Galilee were, were in Jerusalem and seen what Jesus was doing there. It's possible this man also had seen some of those things. So he, this man had either witnessed for himself or he had heard about all the supernatural signs that Jesus was performing. 
And because of what he heard about what Jesus was doing and his ability to perform these supernatural signs, he believed that Jesus could heal his son. Now this is a man whose son is dying. It's a father who is in, who's desperate to see his son healed. And he hears of Jesus healing people. He says, I got to go. I got to get to him. If you are a father or a parent, can you imagine what, what you would go through, the lengths that you would go to to see your child healed? Would you not do whatever it takes to seek out healing for your child? If you're not a parent, can you imagine the lengths that your parents would go through for you? So we look at this man, it makes sense that he goes to Jesus and he, and he wants Jesus to come and heal his son. When I think of this picture of a, of a, a, a father who's desperate to see his son healed, it makes me think of the movie John Q. It's an old Denzel Washington movie, and the premise of the movie is that John Q's son is, is dying. If he doesn't get a heart transplant, he will die, and he will die soon. And, and throughout the movie, John Q is doing everything he can possibly do to raise the money, to convince the insurance, to, to pay for the heart transplant, to do anything he can do to get his son a new heart. But he keeps being told over and over again, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So he decides to take matters into his own hands, and he walks into a hospital and takes people hostage with a gun because he's going to do whatever it takes to see his son healed. And ultimately, you find out, sorry, this is a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, but you find out that he never intended on hurting anyone except for himself. He the gun was not loaded, but he brought, uh, brought one bullet to give his son his heart so that his son would live. This, this picture of a, a desperate man doing whatever he possibly could do to save his son. But when I was thinking about John Q, I realized that the problem with John Q is that he takes matters into his own hands. He goes and, and takes a, a hospital hostage. It's not something I would recommend. Um, but this man, that's not what he does. He goes to Jesus. And you think that's the right thing to do. Instead of entrusting God with his son's life, John Q determines to save his son for himself, no matter what it took. John Q. relies on himself and his own abilities and his plans to fix his problems. This man was a man of means, and he doesn't go to his means. He goes to Jesus. So often, I think this is a picture of me. That's my struggle, the struggle inside of my own heart. Instead of taking these things to Jesus, bringing my anxieties to Jesus, and trusting Him and His care for me, believing in His power to bring healing and to provide for me and to restore relationships on my behalf. I rely on myself. So I look at this man and I think, 
man, there's, there's something to be commendable here in this royal official. He does believe that Jesus has the ability to heal, and he is coming to Jesus. And it seems like he's doing the right thing. That's why Jesus' response is almost shocking. In verse 48, Jesus says to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus responds to him, not with commendation, not saying, Hey, you've come to the right place. Lead me to your son. I'll go heal him. He responds to him with rebuke. Why does Jesus respond this way? I want to propose that Jesus is using this situation to expose that there is something lying under the surface. That there is a deeper need for both the official and for the Galileans. That they're not seeing it and they need to see it. For the official, Jesus is exposing that the man lacks true faith. Sure, he believes that Jesus can heal his son, but his faith is limited. He desires a cure, but does he truly trust in Jesus? He he believes that Jesus can heal his son, but is the extent of what he believes Jesus can do just that? Healing? Is his faith merely based on Jesus' signs and miracles? Does it not go deeper? I think he is exposing that this man might have what I might call Jesus take the wheel faith. I don't know if you recall the, the Carrie Underwood song, I Will Refrain From Singing It For You. Um, but this song, it, it, the, the whole idea is that there is this woman who's driving down the road and her child is in the back seat and it's late at night and as she's driving she ends up coming across a patch of ice and her car has completely lost control and she begins to think that this is the end and it's at that point it's at that point when everything seems to be going wrong that that's when she calls out to Jesus and and the song even says that she hadn't talked to Jesus in a long time. But when she gets to a point of crisis, that's when she goes to him and says, Jesus, take the wheel. Save me from this road I'm on. Fix this situation for me. And then I'll serve you. I think sometimes we we fall into that trap. We run to Jesus with just all these things that we need, but we're not really going to him for much beyond that. But how can we know that our faith goes beyond just Jesus take the wheel faith? A question to you, what do your prayers look like? Do we pray to Jesus in times of trouble and then ignore him the rest of the time? When we feel like we need his help, we go to him but that's it? Or do our prayers often look like, when we do pray, does it look like a grocery list? Listing all the things that we need Jesus to help us with. How do we push beyond that? I think our prayers need to begin 
to go beyond just asking Jesus for the things we want him to help us with, but, but asking him, to, when we go to him and pray, we're praying prayers of adoration, recognizing who he is and, and standing in awe of him. We go to him with prayers of confession, recognizing who we are and our deep need of him. We go to him with prayers of thanksgiving, recognizing his steadfast love for us. And that fills our hearts with overflowing love. We say thank you for all that you have done. And yes, we also go to God with prayers of supplication, asking him to fill our needs. We go to him with our anxieties. We do go to him with the things that we're troubled with. I'm saying is we got to go beyond just those things. <clears throat> and and one, one tool that I actually saw uh, in the office that if, if you're struggling to go beyond those things and your prayer life is struggling, I, I saw in the office we have these uh, community Bible reading journals. And in there, they, they really try to help you with praying in those sorts of ways that, that your prayers go beyond just prayers of asking God for help with things. I encourage you to, to, to grab one of those resources. And there are other ways that we can work on our prayers. But that is a good resource that is available. But Jesus isn't just rebuking the official here. The you that is used here is a, is a plural you. I don't know, I haven't been here long enough to discover, but do y'all say y'all? I said y'all, I said y'all. We said y'all in Mississippi. But uh, this is a y'all. This is a plural, you. He's exposing the limits of the faith of the Galileans. They had become so fascinated with Jesus' signs and miracles that they weren't seeing beyond that. One commentator points out a contrast between Jesus' reception in, in Samaria and his reception here in Galilee. In Samaria, if we look back through that story, verses 25 and 26, he says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. They, they saw him as Messiah. The, the Galileans mister, misunderstood his messiahship. In verse 34, he says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Then on in 36, he says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus hasn't just come to fix the small things. He's come, he's come to call to himself a people, to do the will of the Father and draw his people together to reap the harvest. And then in verse 42, it tells us, he said, uh, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Jesus isn't just the Savior of those people who need to come to him for healing. He's come to save the world and restore the world 
to himself. The Galileans had, had begun, they were so focused on the sign. And, and they, were, they were seeing the sign, that they, they were so focused on it that they weren't seeing what it was pointing to. It makes me, it reminds me of commercials. You ever watch a commercial and you have absolutely no idea what the ad was for? What good is that? And you watch a commercial and you have no idea what it's for. It's not going to go make you buy the product. The Galileans, they, they came and they saw Jesus' signs, but they didn't know what it was for. They didn't see what it was pointing to. We so often make the same mistake. The Galileans <clears throat> or the Galileans were so focused on the here and now and the physical realities that they weren't seeing the future and spiritual promises Jesus was pointing to. Man, that hits me a little bit. When I realize I do the same thing. I get so focused on the things that are stressing me out that I'm failing to rest in the promises of God. I'm failing to take joy in the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm just like the Israelites in the wilderness, embittered and complaining, completely losing sight of the promises set before me in Christ. Now, despite this rebuke that this man receives, he holds his ground. In verse 49, he says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Saying, I don't care about all that. I just want my son to be healed. Jesus challenges him to believe, even though he cannot see. He tells him, go home. He will live. He's saying, he gives him this promise. And he says, you have to believe it before you see it. And the man does believe. It's actually quite astonishing how much he believes. Jesus pushes him to, to deeper faith, and he, he trusts. He trusts. I don't know about you, but if Jesus said that to me, I would be rushing home to find out, did Jesus really heal him? But he, you see that, that his level of trust is, is true because he doesn't rush home. He takes his time. It was a four-hour trip, but yet he takes, it's into the next day that his servants come to him, telling him his son was recovered. But then when he realizes that it was Jesus who healed him, he believes a deeper belief, a belief that goes beyond just Jesus' ability to heal and to perform miracles. I believe this, it's a deeper belief that believes in who Jesus is, that he is the Savior of the world. As I read through this story, I kept coming back to that question of why did Jesus respond the way he did? Why didn't he commend the man for coming to the right place? Why didn't he simply say yes and go heal his son? Jesus had an agenda. He wanted to challenge the man's faith to show him he was more than just a miracle worker. That he comes to bring life, not just for his son, but by the end of the story, he brings life to 
the man and his whole family. And he comes to show that he has come from more than just his signs and miracles. He has come to offer living water that whoever drinks of it will never be thirsty again. Jesus is more than just a miracle worker. He doesn't come to make our lives easier or more peaceful. He comes to bring us peace with God. He doesn't come to make us happy. He comes to bring us joy. He doesn't come to bring us our best life now. He comes to bring us life eternal. The end, the man and his whole household believes. Jesus accomplishes so much more than just healing the son. How often we, do we go to Jesus with our anxieties, our struggle with sin, our worries about money, our broken relationships, our, our health issues for us, for our loved ones, our stress at work or at home, concerns for our kids, worried we're just going to mess them up? We want, to say, we want Jesus to say, yes, I'll take care of that for you. But he doesn't always answer the way that we want. Maybe he's showing us that there's more, that he, that he is more than just a miracle worker. He's using the circumstances to expose our deeper needs, to force us to look beyond the surface, and to grow our faith. And as weird as it might sound, I'm actually trying to suggest that we are all kind of like the guest house bathroom in my house. We look at ourselves and we see a clogged toilet, and we think we need a simple fix. But Jesus knows the truth. He can see the rotted floors, the disconnected plumbing, the growing mold, the termite-eaten walls. He wants to show us that he has come for more than just a patch. He has come for more than just a sign and a miracle. The signs and miracles point to who he is. And he has come so that we may believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we, have may, we may have life in his name. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to you not just for the patches. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know that you give us life and life eternal that we would continue to come to you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Our responsive song is on page 11 of your worship guide. Please stand as we sing.